listen, I want to be honest with everyone listening this week. Formal disclaimer to begin this week's episode. On this show, today, there will be offensively bad Boston accents perpetrated throughout the duration of the episode. If you could find it within your heart to forgive us, let's get real. Forgive me for these transgressions. We have a great show for you today. One of me and Josh's all-time favorites. So I give you episode five of the Digest Show brought to you by Black Rectangle Collective. Let's go. Hey, Josh, what's today? Oh, let's see. Is it? Oh, today's Sunday. Sunday. Good. Because I got to pick up a box of processes on Tuesday. And this is America. And if you don't have no ticky, you don't get no laundry. Oh! It's time for one of our favorite movies of all time. Martin Scorsese's 2006, The Departed. Josh, we got Leo. We got Jack. Oh, yeah. And we got America's sweetheart, Matt Damon, in this crime thriller. America's sweetheart. We're going to get to it later in the show, but this is... This is ours. I, darling, I'd like to claim this in front of all of God and creation that this is our movie. Yes, indeed. This is our movie. So before we get to our deep dive, let's do a little prep. Please, ladies and gentlemen, join me on the back of the box as we get an overview of the film. I'll do this one. Give it to us. Ricky cop Billy Costigan grew up in crime. That makes him the perfect mole. The man on the inside of the mob run by boss Frank Costello. It's his job to win Costello's trust and help his detective handlers bring Costello down. Meanwhile, SIU officer Colin Sullivan has everyone's trust and no one suspects he's Costello's mole. How these covert lives cross, double cross, and collide is at the ferocious core of this widely acclaimed The Departed. Martin Scorsese directs, getting a cast for the ages in a visceral tale of crime and consequences. This is searing, can't-look-away filmmaking, ladies and gentlemen, like staring into the eyes of a con or a cop with a gun. And with that, Joshua, I ask you, what's the difference? Mm, 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 mm. You know what stuck out there? The what's cast, that, The cast of a lifetime. How that does that ser- make you feel? It just... it it It's so... It's true, you know? It's true. It's This is... This is a great ensemble, but more than that, there's just some, there's some top-notch actors in here, and some of the people from our generation of film that are just like big names, you know, like and a couple from before, and a couple from before, yes, and and Lord have mercy, they're all taking swings. They're swinging, they're swinging for the fences. They're coming out of the corner hot. No one is mincing words or minutes here. Absolutely, absolutely. We're gonna get, we're gonna get to the meat of that. But We're first, not missing anything. Hell no. But first, the backstory of this film is interesting. It's just cool. Um, something we'd like to do on this show slowly but surely is kind of tell the story of how and what a film is made. And I personally like to pick out, you know, some specific um, and unique details to the backstory of the film. So Internal Affairs was a crime th- thriller drama out of the Hong Kong film industry. Very successful. Went on to become a franchise. Uh a couple years, it was 2002. So a couple years after that, 
a, an American production company called Plan B acquired the rights to the film. Plan B is partially owned and operated by one hmm. Brad Pitt. A.K.A. Robert Redford Jr., as he will be affectionately known from here on out on this program. Yes. So stay on your toes. <laughs> you cannot convince us otherwise, ladies and gentlemen. No, we subscribe to this one, folks. It's the only one. There's, there's just if there's one Hollywood conspiracy theory. May, well, maybe a few more for me, but there's one that we both subscribe to, and it's that Brad Pitt is Robert Redford's son. Great actor, great actor. Handsome, handsome. Those jawlines. I mean, they're great producers. I mean, come on. You just, you don't get born with that, you know? We'll get to that another date, but just save that in your pocket, guys, because yes. that's how we feel. I'd like to point out that the Hong Kong origins of this film are referenced in this film in a scene, a uh, little chase scene through Chinatown um, later in the movie between our two leads. That's kind of a cool nod uh, to yeah. the origins of where the film comes from. Yeah, for sure. You, you get the feeling that uh, some some of the, some parts of that are like a direct, like homage. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Scorsese admittedly went out of his way not to see the original film before making this, but that doesn't mean he didn't know the, the styles or aesthetics of where it came from. It doesn't allowed him to make that that uh, that reference. You agree? Yeah, you know I do, and and also if I could just say maybe if you the, please, the screenwriter may have had a hand in that given William like, Monahan wrote this, you one. know, if he, if he gave a good enough, a specific enough kind of framing of something to happen, maybe that was the, the link there, but that's very cool that Marty didn't watch the original before. I kind of like that. Me too. I'm sure he watched it after. I'm sure he watched. I think there's three. Yeah. You, you know, oh. he, you know, he watched all of them. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few of them. I mean, it may, it may even have gone past three. I'm not sure, but okay. There's Maybe there. we should watch those one day. That would be fun. I think we should. Josh, why do you love this movie? And what are your, oh. first, mem what are your first memories of watching it? Because it's, as we got stoked about at the top, this one starts, there's a reason we chose this, and it starts with you and I and our love for it. So what are your first memories of it? And what are your, some of your favorite parts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the first memories of it are uh, back in back in the glory days, the college years, uh on a couch in the house watching this movie with you. And, uh, I mean, we watched it so often that there were several other people who would join in. I mean, and there were times where we watched this movie multiple nights in a row, just because, you know, like you go to pick out a movie and you're just like, yeah, nothing's going to be, nothing's going to hit. Nothing's going to scratch gonna, that itch. Let's just watch the departed again. And that's, I think that's my original. And I just have a love again. You know, I love, um, like mystery, you know, I, I love whodunits, kind of like what's happening, twist it keeps you on your toes. It great, does. Those, great way. Yeah. Good. And, and it's, it's engaging, you know, and I still watch this movie, I think every year, at least once. I so. definitely watch it at least once a year. We decided to do this, uh, this film and I just watched it a few months ago. Wasn't sad or mad that I had to watch it again, but no, right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's as far as our friendship and family goes, this is, this is our family film. Gather around, children. Yeah, the holiday classic, The Departed. I was gonna—that's exactly right. I was gonna say that this is like <laughs> the, if, if our if we're ever in circumstance where our families have to celebrate Thanksgiving together, we're gonna put The Departed on. You know, that's gonna be the movie with cover the your eyes, avert your eyes, children. <laughs> that's it. That's it. 
Charles the the fourth. <clears throat> anyway, so I I want to tell a quick anecdote. One of my favorite memories of this movie from back in the day is waking up, probably hungover, still drunk, in the middle of the night or wee hours of the morning, and going falling in and out of sleep while. <laughs> the theme song on the DVD menu plays over Oh, it. yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, it That's was. Good. Yes, it was. It was the dropkick on the on that DVD copy that we had. Then it was, yeah. Oh, I remember that too. <laughs> so I can't think of a better window to peer through into this movie than the fantastic cast that we've already shined a light on. Uh, it's... Again, it's not just the big names, but the performances. So for this episode, y'all, we'd like to start with the cast and just do a Shabuya roll call. Shabuya! And give everybody a few minutes of of love and light because we love each and every one of them. Correct, correct. Sound sound good? Yes, absolutely. It's a group effort. Group effort. Let's start with Leonardo. Leo. What do you start with him, man? What are your first thoughts of his performance? Um, I feel like, well, this is this is um this movie comes in a hot streak for Leo. I think he was on kind of a tear there for a little while. He, he kind of does this thing where he does two a year. That's his move, and this this might it's just the, one of the first times he get, uh, attempts that that pattern. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, and plus, you know, coming off of another absolute, you know crusher in the aviator you know working with scorsese and that as well a few Not years prior might be, might be one of my least favorite scorsese films but still a, a massive production and financial success hollywood blockbuster film sure sure yeah yeah i mean personal personal thoughts aside i have my quabbles with that as well but but i mean he did come off of it it was a big production and he, and Absolutely. he his performance in the in the movie is you know substantial i would say and he's kind of i would i just think this is like the this is almost like the 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 play in the in the playoffs or something where you see someone hit a shot and you're like, okay, they're definitely in their prime now. Like this this is like he's completely there. He's the you know he's in his characters. He's flexing on all you know all cylinders. You know there's just little signs of of tendencies that keep him from being like at his peak. You know, but he's in his full stride. He's just. Not quite at his peak yet, but you know, I think the, some of the movies he does after this are phenomenal. But in this movie, Leo is great. I mean, he really takes Billy Costigan to levels. I mean, big time levels. He himself described the character's uh, actions and emotional roller coaster in the film as if Billy is having an anxiety attack twenty four seven. Yes, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, he. I mean, some of the scenes that he gets some of the scenarios in which his character gets put in are, I mean, incredibly tense. I mean, the guy must walk around with constant, just like tension in his shoulders, like never knowing when that wrong thing is going to be said. It's not only that he's being pulled in two directions by Costello and the police. He's also working it himself. He's like, it's been lost to me on over the years as like my palate is refined. and, And then for watching it for this show, at, uh, watching with a purpose and critiquing. Yeah, this, char- this character is, is has intent, and he he's manipulating just as much as anybody else, especially Frank Costello's character. And I think Leo does a really good job of portraying that pressure, that anxiety, that strength um, to to just endure 
what what this character is going through. He willingly goes to jail for his his mission. No, he does, and 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 you know he he commits to that mission. And one, I mean, absolutely. Play, I mean, he plays almost an understated part of this this film is how well that character plays Frank Costello. Like, I couldn't agree more. Not, not many. There's not, there's really, are, there really aren't any other characters in this movie that get to own Frank Costello that way. I mean, you can make a case for Colin, which maybe we could chat about that in a bit, but, but realistically, you, you know, Billy Costigan owns Frank. He knows how to push his buttons. He knows what to say. And he's, he's one of the, he's the only person actually, that like gives like physical threat to Costello's life, you know. I mean, because everyone else would be terrified to do that. Yeah, I could be you, probably. Sure. Yes. He says that to him. He gets under his skin in in a uh, psychological way, but Leo's performance makes it. It's hard to see that because you're so. His performance is so manic and and full of tension. But if you look at the character's arc and his actions. He's he's involved in the conspiracy. He's not just a pawn. And I think that may be lost in initial viewings, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and if, you know, we're talking about Leo, we're talking about Billy, because that's going to happen throughout. The, I mean, that's going to happen in this in this episode. We're going to talk about these actors and these characters almost sometimes interchangeably. We're going to say Matt. We're going to say Colin. It's going to get – so just hang tight with us, you know, because it's going to happen. Uh, Mi- but – but but basically, I was just gonna say, I mean, this character uh, is absolutely manic, and he's he's very very convincing throughout the entire thing. I mean, there's no doubt about that. There's one part uh, when he's with his uh, cokehead cop magnet of a cousin on the mm-hmm. porch when he first gets out of jail, and Leo's sitting there with like the backwards cap on, and he has this like really sincere. His eyes aren't lit up in performance, like he's. He's known for his, you know, some people, deters might say he's an overactor, but he's got that intensity in his eyes, and he has this relaxed thing in his face, and his demeanor just, it seems real. It seems like this might be, like, the closest I'll ever get to who Leonardo DiCaprio really is. It seems like a really close version of him when he's sitting there with the backwards cap on, you know, starting casual conversation, and like you said, it's going to be a theme today as we're talking about the performances and the actors. Like, it's very... We obviously don't know these people, but it's cast so well. And despite that, we're going to get to a caveat and a what if on this film. But it's cast so well, and everybody fits the role so perfectly. And I, I, I'm glad we're approaching the film this way because I, 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 it's the feat of the film, I think. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think... Um, yeah, I think Leo's performance is great, and I'll also agree that the 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 scene where he's with his cousin, where, for actually first when he knocks on the door before his cousin shows up, and he's got the hat slightly off to the side forwards though. I just imagine, <laughs> I just imagine that's like what DiCaprio at the, looks at the like. poker game. Yeah, in the mid like mid two thousands, you know, and he's like showing up like giving the Toby password. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. God. I mean, you mean uh, Michael Sarah, right? Whoa. Molly's game, man. Molly's game. Haven't seen it. Oh, it's a fun one. Maybe we'll do it one day. Yeah. One more thing before we move on to our next character performance. Yes. I think that for the majority of Leo's career, maybe after the 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 90s and the new millennium, 
fans and detractors alike could make a case for one of his performances being Academy Award worthy. He his career kind of got pacinoed, if you will. He's had a myriad of popular, financially successful, critically successful films. He's beloved in around the world, but you know, it took him a long time to get that award. Same with Pacino. Pacino winning for Son of a Woman and DiCaprio eventually winning for The Revenant. Not in a lot of people's top choices for his performances. For this film in particular, make the case for Leo winning an Oscar. Uh, okay. Um, I think Leo in this performance is very his his acting is naturalistic in a sense that can you touch on his face acting uh, oh i can touch on his face acting <laughs> trust me i mean actually let's do talk about his face acting can we take a second and chat about is there is there a more expressive forehead on a 20 something actor in the history of fucking ever maybe one and his name's jack nicholson <laughs> that's right oh shit the forehead acting parallels in this film cannot <laughs> be beaten, folks. It's a new segment. I mean, forehead he, acting parallels. When he's standing, I'm sorry, I'm going to give just like 15 more seconds. When he's standing in the hallway talking to his absolutely pompous fucking uncle, it hit, when he get some questions, when he gets into that, there's like Is eight my wife wrinkles. a money grubbing whore. They're like there are like eight levels of wrinkle folds in this forehead. It's incredible. That's the next level face face acting. But back to my point to to kind of sum it up. I think he's 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 really in this character. I think in this may be one of the first times that he really clicks. Uh, I think he kind of on a dramatic made, level, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that he probably attempted to kind of get into that sort of acting throughout his career, and I think this is a place where it really clicked, and he kind of he exuded that paranoia that you know William Costigan has in this film, and and du Dooley, you know, Dooley. Agreed. Later, we're going to touch on another uh, Academy Award backstory to this film, um, and Leo decided not to launch a campaign. Uh, for this role, because he didn't want to compete against his fellow castmates. Which, what a guy. Yeah, that's understandable. Somebody else did, but we'll get there. The next character I want to get to is Frank Costello, Jack motherfucking Nicholson. Uh, you know, you know that this is one of my favorite performances. I absolutely love it. I know. I just, it... I mean, a lot. so a lot of people have a problem with this performance. Like, I hear it often like yeah movie's great but god jack's accent's bad it seems to be overacting i disagree i think that this character is evil incarnate i think he's manipulative and deep and, and intellectual and he's got his hand in every pot and i i mean there are things i don't like about the performance sure but i love the solo shots of jack in this movie when he's singing like the old irish folk tune yeah the, a sit a particular sit down between him and costigan when he talks about John Lennon, uh, you know, I'm an artist, give me a tuba and I'll make something out of it. He's playing with a fucking dead hand. A lot of the solo shots in this movie are just like spine tingling. And obviously Jack Nicholson's one of the greatest actors of all time, especially the last 40 years. And a number of his performances are canon at this point. But th what's particular about this one that may not be on people's greatest hits list for me, but I just love the evil he taps into. You know, he's not possessed by something it is the character the character is power hungry and 
and I think he personifies that in a just a titillating way. No, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And I'm, I'm fucking. I think I'm gonna launch a campaign against these people who say this overacting shit. Like, I mean, this seems like I think overacting is is a a phrase that is used sometimes too much. Like, I I don't think that this is overacting. I think that this is on point, and I agree with you a hundred percent. I think the character, uh, the character paves the way for the acting that that Jack Nicholson does in this. And I can't believe I can't believe he actually didn't get any kind of nomination for this. So maybe the Academy thinks he overacted too, but you know, the Academy doesn't know shit typically. So Yeah, I do really typically don't agree with them. But But if I can, because this is my favorite, I've gotta say, like like you said, some of the close ups on him and obviously Scorsese does that really 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 well he 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 really gets into conversations and makes you feel like you're sitting at a table while a conversation is happening and some of the intensity that nicholson brings is just absurd and there's there are looks in his eyes that are that absolutely read mass murdering fucking crime boss i don't want to be at a dinner table with frank costello nor do I, because he could pull things out of a bag that could ruin dinner. But also, if we could just say about Nicholson for a moment, Nicholson's the kind of cat who can play a character who is a mass murderer and also rock an absolutely dope leopard print tie and a gray blazer. I was and just thinking of the tie when you fucking nice. look legit. And it's because if we can just say before we move off of Jack Nicholson, this dude is one of a few like heavy fucking hitters left in hit like in his generation of actors. There's not there's very few people who can command your attention and have like I hate this word but that much gravitas. Like absolutely just pull you into them like and he is. He some of the little monologues that he gets and the little extended runs that he gets are just Speaking crazy. of runs, my least favorite part is when he's running. It looks bad. Oh, at, toward the end of the film, <laughs> I'm fucking dying. I've got to, I've got to, like, while we're there, that's one of my bones. Like, I've noticed there, there are a couple of glitches in this movie, like little things that we're gonna talk about the glitches because there are. Yeah, but that one, that yeah, I'll save that. But yeah, I get the running scene for sure. Cool. We love Jack. We love this character. Fuck we off. do. We absolutely do. Matt Damon's kind of like sexy in this movie. I'd go on a date with Matt Damon if he hit on me in a fucking elevator. Oh, I mean, I might, I I might be disappointed character. in the morning, but hey. I, I hate this character, but I would definitely go out to dinner with him in a heartbeat if he was that charming in an elevator. And I would have went on a second date if he pulled the shit that he pulled at dinner, too. I mean, I'd have been in. I'll arrest you right now. <laughs> you don't know half of it. Something about Matt Damon talking with a mouthful of food is just really endearing. I suppose. I mean, Matt, Matt, I like Matt Damon, but I just, this character is just, I, ah, I really dislike this character. So this film is a tale of two sides of the same coin sort of deal. Yes. Yes. And as we've already gone through Billy Costigan, you know, his journey, he tries to become uh, a Massachusetts state police officer and his path is different. It's above, it's beneath the norm rather. He has to make his own path and kind of take a hit to get ahead. 
Colin, also a different path, but the light shines on him a little bit. He gets to, he's he, he as a young boy, he's taken under his wing. As Frank Costello takes him under his wing, um, there's flashback scenes which are really cool to see. That that casting is good. That kid they looks did a fucking great looks job. Just like Matt Damon. And enough. One one little tidbit about that. Uh, Scorsese does a great job sometimes of like. Like pulling in on him and having these looks the same way he did when he was a kid, and it just like you're like, oh my god, it it almost feels like it's like his kid or something. It's it's kind of weird. So Sullivan gets into the police force and rises fast like a twelve year old's dick to quote uh, <laughs> every character in the movie, <laughs> and he is seemingly Sullivan Costello's rat in the police force to keep tabs on his surveillance um he he tips off you know dad as he's referred to secretly over the phone which is one of my bones to pick is the phones in this fucking movie (laughs) what do you like about matt damon in this movie and what do you hate about his character yeah yeah so first i want to start with kind of the way you set me up is i love matt damon in this role he does a great job um i think the reason his performance probably doesn't stand out for me, the reason, or, or as much as some of the other ones, is because it feels like a very Matt Damon role. Like, you know, maybe... Like kind of smart-ass Boston guy. Yeah, for sure. And like smart and, you know, kind of... Wicked smart! You know, getting ahead, <laughs> getting ahead, you know, and like, I just, um, that part... I don't know. That bothers me a little bit, but I do love his performance in this movie. I think it's great. I think he he gives that character everything that character needs, and he makes me absolutely hate this character. And I think one of the reasons I hate this character is because I think of, like, so when Frank is, like, recruiting uh, Colin when he's a young man, he's telling him, you know, that he did well in school, and that's what some people would call a paradox. And he kind of – that's some foreshadowing for – the fact that Colin and Billy are really, in my opinion, they could be just interchangeable, like absolutely interchangeable. I mean, it would change the film, but the characters could swap roles and backstories and feel completely conceivable. Um, and I think that it's almost like this, um, you know, I don't, Cain and Abel is like the wrong kind of vibe, but there's almost like there are this, like biblical. It's like a biblical arch- archetypes here are are not not new. No, absolutely not, and it, so it's and familiar. You know, it, it does, and it kind of gives it a um, a setting or a uh, like a place in history that kind of carries a little bit more weight with it, and it it adds to the dynamic of their two the, their two characters. Um, but I think the reason I hate him is because he. To me, he's like the biggest coward in the film, and that's one of the things you don't want to be, especially in that neighborhood, is a coward. I mean, I think Colin became a coward because he was always protected from a young age. And Billy, I mean, Billy fucking like went to jail without blinking an eye to follow like his moral compass, whether or not he has one. I think there's a question if there are any good people in this movie. That a lot of good movie, great movies we love to watch are just movies about shitty fucking people. And this but, is one of them. I mean, yeah, for real. I agree. But you also have, I think, with Billy, you are you find yourself asking yourself if you should root for him or not. You're at least compromised, you know. Oh, absolutely. In your affection for him, but Colin's a piece of shit. He's a he complete is. and total tool. 
he he's an absolute tool he i mean that's ex- that's exactly right i mean he he and he i think the reason I, I say he he's a coward too and i come to that is because he he uses his advantage more than anyone else in the film and he gets away with so much fucking shit he gets away with so much stuff in it's this just movie just rude man. too like i like banners and that guy is just a fucking dickhead yeah 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 so i i don't know and but but Again, you have to go back to Matt Damon doing a great job because you're supposed to not like this rap fuck. And that's what he is. He's a rap fuck. And that's what they say throughout the whole fucking movie. Fucking rats. On my nerves. You know, it's what it is. And he's the one that is on everyone's nerves. Through and through. One side or the other. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on to our supporting cast. Oh, okay. First up, my favorite character in the film and it brings us to an inaugural segment here on the Digest Show. Yes! I'd like to hand out the award for best accent and an accent-centric laden movie to <laughs> Sergeant Dignam, portrayed by one, Marky Mark. Great. Yes, old third nipple. I love it. He's amazing. He is amazing. It, he, so he originally well, well, wanted wait, a bigger part. In, he originally wanted a bigger part in this film. Um, Evan Flo uh, dealing with his agent and Marty finally settled for the part of Dignam and I believe he was we've talked about this in other films we've dissected before only on the set a few days but my god we're going to get to how quotable this movie is and how big of a part that is of its longevity and he's the biggest fucking part of it Um, couple of things I can't I cannot imagine Mark Wahlberg playing any other role in this film, than Dignam. So his performance, he says, is a composite of all the cops in Boston that used to arrest him growing up. Having a checker <laughs> pass, being a kid from the streets. Yeah, you gotta uh, be tough. And th- his performance is a composite of, of all of them. I, can, I love his I, attitude. I think of this movie and these characters, the setting is a lot about attitude. These, this cr- these crime-oriented people, have ad- they're dark, they're malicious, they're fucking violent, and, but he's a cop. So he has this kind of, again, morally compromised view from uh, as the viewer. You know, he's he's trying to get the bad guys. He is. And I, um, you know, in my... Which he notes, ultimately gets the baddest one, you know? He, do- he does. And, and, and in my note-taking, uh, I wrote something crazy, like, just out of my head. I wrote, uh, Dignam is the righteous indignant of this movie. He really represents, like, that of justice like not the not the like justice in the scales and you know we're not no he feels a very specific way about federal officers and i can't wait to (laughs) tell you that later in the quote segment yeah but the the dude is just he's a fist in the mouth to people who deserve it that's that's how i feel about dignum like i love this character just i i really do just the same as you and it's because it's like you you imagine that dignum's the dude who's just gonna like like walk in and like knock the dude out who's being a complete asshole to some chick, like just like jerking her on the arm. He's not gonna have it. He's just gonna fucking deck you in the face and move the fuck along and walk through and go sit down and order his drink. That's Dignum. And I love that. Again, a total fucking douchebag. But a bit douchey. But the the thing about Dignum's character is 
is in this one specific scene where he gets cut with two weeks pay, right? And in a few scenes following, they, the bad guys, the mobsters, Frank's crew, they don't know where Dignam went. And they're a little freak. It's passing. It's a fleeting moment in the film, right? Because they know this mother, the, the bad guys know about the good guys just as much, you know? And they know Dignam. They and, know Dignam. And can we just, there's spoilers. Dignam goes rogue. It kills he, the fucking rat. He fucking goes rogue and he kills the rat. And, you know, the more I watch this movie, the more Dignam's drop off in the pace of the story intrigues me so much more because I imagine that fucking guy in his personal car with like some fucking listening devices. Like he's like tracking. He is figuring out who the fucking mole is and he's going to take it into his own hands. And he fucking does. And there's some great, great moments in that scene as well. That little things I'd love to get to when we get there, but definitely I dig Dignam's the shit, man. I mean, Douchey, but again, useful. Uh, at the end of the day, you want Dignam on your team, right? You might not want to oh hang out God. with him every day. Yeah, I want know? that dude on my squad if shit goes yeah, down. Yeah, for sure, for sure. One last thing, point I want to make about Mark Wahlberg's performance is the chemistry he has in his one-on-ones. <laughs> We're going to get to the quotes, but and all laughs and uh, jokes aside, his scene with Leo and how Leo's character is seething, uncomfortable, being called out for what he is. Uh, I had to hold back, Josh. I really wanted to do it right there. But I'm going to wait. I'm teasing. His one on uh, his back and forth with Alec Baldwin. Um, the dichotomy of uh, Martin Sheen's character and his character. Yeah. Wahlberg's a great companion, scene companion in this film. And, he, and yeah. He absolutely is. And one of the, if just before we move off, I got to tell you my favorite part of my favorite part of his performance is a, a little nuance which you you know I the fucking face acting that you make fun of me for it's a nuance thing that I really really love because I think that that's what separates really great films from good films you know is the nuances that the whole group effort bring um, and my favorite fucking part is a simple little thing it's when he's in the room and you know uh, Sullivan is a fresh face fucking you know guy in the room trying to get in and do his thing and he's trying to solve a murder inside of a much larger plot and Dignam's just not having any of it he's basically like looking at him like oh if you want to go be a beat cop go be a beat cop you know and he does this thing where he like stops cold in the middle of his sentence and just puts his hands up on his hips and cuts this fucking look and puffs his chest up and it's just like get the fuck out of here and it's like that moment is my favorite part of his entire performance I love the way the camera treats him too. Oh, that's that's some good stuff. I mean, remind that's... me, remind me to. I think you know what I'm talking about with one of my favorite quotes in a vegetable. Oh yes, we're gonna and get federal there. federal police officers. Remind me. Let's talk about how the camera interacts with him in that scene because for sure when it plays across his chest, it's fucking gold. All right, on the other side of this coin in a dichotomy themed film is Martin Sheen's character Queenan, which again, ladies and gentlemen. Listeners of the Digest Show brings us to another inaugural inaugural segment. In this movie of accents, we have an award for the worst accent, and it is awarded to my president, <laughs> Martin Sheen. Screws the fucking pooch on the accent, man. It's so bad. 
It's it's rough. I mean, it's I don't rough. think it's... I, I know that you we talked we lauded Jack Nicholson with praise, but I have a problem with his accent. I don't think it's very good, but this this is bad. How did he yeah. fuck it up so bad? Well, okay, I'll kind of tackle both comments you make in one. It comes down to one word, consistency. Jack Nicholson's accent is not great, right? But it's consistent. He pulls the accent in and exaggerates it at the same time in the same syllables with the same combination combination of uh, letters. Always. I would disagree with that, but I get the point you're making. Yeah, but Martin Sheen's accent is just all over the fucking place. The dude yeah. says "quap" like 14 Quop. different ways. Like it, I, it, I did a disclaimer at the beginning of the show, uh, just so you know that there's a you know a, a federal service warning for offensive bad Boston accents are going to be attempted and executed. Martin Sheen's is like as bad as ours, and it's distracting. It sucks because he's one of the most classic actors of the 20th century, 21st century, and another big hitter, you know, canon guy, but uh, yeah, just okay, face the palm worst, the accent. The worst, okay, the worst moment for the accent. Do you want to act like, do you want to appear to be a cop? No? no, it's not for me. It's it's when it's it's when Costigan shows up at his house and he's sitting there, and he's telling him, "Come on, let's go. Come on, let's have some supper and we'll talk." We'll, oh God, we'll I missed that talk. one. Talk. We'll, what the fuck? Talk. What the fuck is he saying? I don't know. Let's ease off the old yeah. man. Let's talk about Queenan. Let's talk about Queenan. Yeah. Um. Okay. For me. Queenan is what the fuck I is Queenan doing? Hey, I think Queenan's the most like okay. So Sullivan's the coward, you know. Billy Costigan is the the he's the protagonist. Yeah. However compromised he may be, Costello's the boss. Fucking you know, Queenan is incompetent, man. He he he's good hearted, he's well intended, but I think that some of his cop instinct if you will really did not hit when it should have and it could have helped him a lot just saying the man is like openly texting on his phone in the back room of the raid and with a with a graphic on the screen showing where the phones are after there had been a call out to the the officers in the room to turn off their phones it's amazing a moment of silence for this horrible piece of police activity please i mean it just it's any he, he observes sullivan literally talking to costello on the phone right in front of him i mean he lets an undercover police officer into his fucking house and offers him a plate of food it's it's crazy it's he's really he really I just that's my that's my take on this character. Like I think Sheen does a decent job ish. I mean, I mean it's Martin or, Sheen. Come on. I know, and there are even moments when again when he's watching Sullivan talk to him on the phone, and he's like he's got this like I love you son look on his face, and he's like offering he's giving him the command to call the fucking thing, and he's so oblivious. It's just out there. It's he's just the, out there. He's the good cop to Dignam's bad cop. And you gotta, you have to try and like at least give them some credit that Dignam, uh, Queenan is, when his character dies, he's like people are, are heartbroken. It's a big deal. Like he's this veteran police officer. He's the head of his own division. 
he had to have gotten there some way. He knows Frank like almost personally. He's been hunting him for so long. They have a rapport when they speak. Like the guy's been around. But fuck. You're right. And maybe and maybe maybe actually another angle I just thought of is maybe it's more credit to maybe it's more credit to Costello. I mean, you know, Costello's obviously good at what he does. He's, you know, an FBI informant, so he's kind of covering his ass effectively for the most part. And Maybe it is credit to Costello for knowing exactly what he was doing by picking Sullivan and putting him in there. I mean, because maybe Queen is just blinded to him, you know? I mean, he doesn't see what's so obvious to some. I mean, and even That's a really good point. I like Dignum that. Dignum straight up like points at him in his face and tells him, like, you know, I run rat fucks like you. Like he calls him a rat, like early in the movie. Like he like Dignum just he, has that nose. About for lack him, of a better know? word, yeah, he smells him. He, he does. Knows, he knows something ain't right. For sure, for sure. So for before, sure. before we move on to two characters that Josh fucking made me talk about, <laughs> let's just establish that Dignum is the central character of the film. Okay, moving on. Uh, Ellerby. Yeah, Ellerby. Um, okay, so Ellerby is one I'll that you, I... I'll give you 90 seconds. I'll clear out. Okay. I requested Ellerby, folks. This performance is a small one. It's a subtle one. It's not a big, big part of the movie. But I just think that Alec Baldwin plays this character so well. This, like, I don't know, just beer gut, you know, day drinking, fucking all-American career cop. Yes, the one who fucking marries to look good and cheats on his wife and all that good fucking shit that comes along with being a typical successful high and tight douchebag like i just but i think he does a great job of putting that character on he's the fucking hilarious in this movie and he that's has a, really what it is for me yeah he's really entertaining he has a great punch great oh, fucking punch. dude he fuck yes he does fucking like wind oh, up wide beat stance chest out just clocks the fucking uh tech guy during the raid scene I mean, if we have time, we might have to get into an impromptu top few punches here because I just thought this is a. Let's do it real quick, real quick. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, that's okay. So, the did you put a camera in the back punch is a good fucking punch, right? I mean, how about you didn't put a camera in the back? How how, about his collar? How about one of my faves? Okay, one of my faves is when Billy Costigan straight jaw checks Jimmy Bags when he's reaching for his fucking cigarettes, dude. Cigarettes. Oh, it's great. Jimmy Bags? It's fucking Jimmy Bags. Oh, so, okay, hit me with one real quick and then we'll move uh, on. My favorite is uh, when uh, Sullivan gets one in on Dignum. He and does. Dignum, what is Dignum? Dignum just cheeses in his fucking face. He's like, okay, you want to go? Okay. I'll give you whatever. It, I'll give it to you right now. Let's go down to the garage. I'll meet you. I got hit harder than that by my fucking sister. He didn't say that, but that's what he's thinking, folks. And we I've just watched it so much I can feel in his thoughts. Trust me. All right. Uh one more yeah. that Josh sent me. I don't know, countless texts. Just come on. But not stop bothering me that he wanted to talk about. I'm just joking. Endearing, great thumbprint performance of the film. Ray Winstone, Mr. French. Yeah, Mr. French. He's just one in, one in ten million. One in ten million. Mr. French just delivers that like quintessential perfect number two. You know, he's the he is Frank's right hand man and he's really good at it. He, you know that French gets the, the perfect number two. He gets he, his hands dirty. 
he's the mass murderer that Co- that Costigan feels nervous going into jobs with. He's the yeah. tough motherfucker. That's it. He's loyal and he's tough. And and Costello knows that he doesn't necessarily have the acumen to replace him at the top of the pyramid, but he's got all of the needed competency to be the number two in a great way. And because of this position in the film, he delivers some of the great lines of the movie and some of the great just stuff, you know, like that, you know, I'm the guy that tells you who you can and can't hit. Like, that's just some bad He has that authority. He, he does. does. Exactly. And he's like, I'm Mr. French. Do you, you know who I am? I mean, I you love- know. I love his wild mid-kill hair, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, real quick, my favorite moment, I just love it. I think it. I know what you're going to say. Is it early? It, what's that? Is it early on? It I'm is sure. early. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fleshed with irony. I mean, it's like Costello is shooting this couple out on the beach. Yeah, that is. And, there it is. And, and French looks at him, and he says, you, you really know, need to see someone, Francis. You really need to see someone. And he's bending down with a fucking bone saw in one hand and a hatchet in the other to literally hack these bodies up. But he's like, telling you're fucked up. You're <laughs> fucked up. I know. It's just I just love that part. And that's that's really the reason I insisted on bringing him in. OK, well, you insisted on Alec Baldwin, and Ray Winstone. I insist on spending a few minutes before we move on to our next segment of talking about a big what if what if of this film. I'm going to give you three names. Okay. Chino. No way. Robert Redford Jr. Okay. And the Crown Prince of Scientology, Tom Cruise. Oh, God. To harken back to the first segment of this episode, Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B, acquired the rights to Internal Affairs and got the ball rolling on the production of this film. Pitt eventually went on to win an Academy Award for producing uh, this film. The initial cast, the three principal leads, were Al Pacino as Frank Costello, Scorsese's number one choice, Brad Pitt as Colin Sullivan, and Tom Cruise as Billy Costigan. I think we both agree. <laughs> Y'all can't see my boy, but his face, he smells something nasty. He's not happy oh. with the Tom Cruise. Oh. I mean, I don't think it's the same movie, and I don't think it's as good. See, like, Killing Them Softly or something, like a fine, you know, cop movie but not this yes and and pacino you know if we talk about like potential over actors (laughs) (laughs) i just i don't i don't (laughs) i love pacino but as soon as you said that the first thing i thought of was the devil's advocate just immediately in my face this is a good (laughs) if 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 Jack Nicholson's performance is overacting. I'll take it over what actual overacting would have happened if Al Pacino took the role. Yes, yes. I, and, I, I'll agree. And we're big fans of Robert Redford Jr. here. I mean, we're fucking Americans, for God's sakes. But glad he stayed behind the camera on this one. I think everything worked out for the best. Would you take or leave? Would you take, rather, any of those changes over what we were left with? Not at all. Not at all. If I could have, it, it's interesting. It's cool to hear about. But if I'm I would have done one that. thing, if I would have done one thing, I would have put Pacino in as Queenan. But oh. no, but I think that might have been where a place where he couldn't really overact and then too much, you know. Uh, but I also don't think Pacino could do a Boston accent at all. So I that would that would really be I'd be hard pressed to find that impressive. 
Oh, dude, this is my bad. We totally missed somebody. We did miss one. The worst mental health professional in the history of cinema. And what are you? You're just going to close my file? I see violent offenders. Vera Farmga as Madeline, the uh, counselor who has an affair with Costigan and a, yeah, it's pretty serious, four months or so relationship with uh, Colin Sullivan. Her she... performance, the best part of the performance, listen, I, we made a mistake there with contingency, but we're all here for the ladies and uh, empowering female artists and performers here, but the best part of her performance, I, it's it's the great pantsuit. It's got to be. Oh, it's the pantsuits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Rocks that pantsuit with authority. Absolutely. Screams, you know, well-educated, I could fuck with your brain if I wanted to kind of a thing, and I work nine to five. I love it. It's a great part of her role. The best, in my yeah. opinion. And in fact, I think that pantsuit, pantsuit was nominated. I'll just have to check my notes. <laughs> Well done. All right, let's have some fun, all right? So, not only is this an all-star cast, but this may be one of the easily quotable, best quotable movies of our time. One of the best parts of this movie, the reason Josh and I fell in love with it, so you can sit around, hanging out with your boys, with your gals, with your people, with your homies, and you could quote this movie all goddamn day long, which we have tried to do on an afternoon of watching baseball and drinking. I'm sure we've tried to do that. We... We oh, let's we could communicate pretty thoroughly via departed quotes at one point in our life. Like we could probably pick out dinner and and make plans for a weekend if we really wanted to, and just departed quotes. Let's get real. You don't know what I want. You calling us cunts? <laughs> that would be we would cunts. All right, let's do back and forth. Let's just pick. I got my big ones. I got my not so big ones. I'm sure you have the same thing. Uh, you you go first, man. Okay, okay. Um, all right, so I'm going to give my boy LRB a quick little yes! shout-out, Mr. Baldwin. Uh, this is just like a really quick little quip that he gives, um, like right in one of the beginning of one of the raids, and he comes up to uh, Sullivan and he goes, I'm going to go have a smoke right now. You want to have a smoke? You don't smoke, do you? What are you, one of those fitness freaks, huh? Go fuck yourself. And he just walks hard off the camera. I love that little quip. It's – it's I'm – it just hits me. It's his character, and it's also Sullivan's character, too, quite frankly. Don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? But, you know, hey. I don't trust anybody who doesn't have a vice. That was Chase Ricker saying that. It's not a quote of the movie. That's uh, Chase Ricker original. <laughs> Sorry. I stuck into my own segment there. I couldn't help myself. I love the my favorite LB moment. Uh, I love the uh, tired from fucking your wife part. I love the punch. Uh, he's He's usually very nice after Mark Wahlberg has a signature exit. Um, but in the golf scene, when Matt Damon says, like, oh, it's working overtime, in reference <laughs> to, like, his sex drive, and Alec Baldwin looks up from his his uh, former, his, uh, standing there with the book golf club, and he looks up and he goes, I'm very happy to hear that. And, like, you can tell he's genuine. Like, that's a part of the social world that he lives in, looking out for his fellow males. Like, I'm very happy to hear that. Yes, and, so fucking funny. And I'll keep it right there. I'll keep it right there in the same scene. One of my, I just love it so much. He's talking to Sullivan about putting him in charge of practically finding himself. It's like we looked at all the possible candidates. You got an immaculate record. Some guys don't trust the people. A guy with an immaculate record. I do. I've got an immaculate record. And then he turns up the fucking Budweiser can <laughs> at like one o'clock in the afternoon, and it's just like it's so great. 
Go fuck yourself. I'm tired from t- t- fucking your wife. How's your mother? Good. She's tired from fucking my father. I love that one. Can I just say I love that one because that quote right there shows what it's like when you're when you are. Uh, Those guys uh, have been having that back and forth their whole lives. Their whole life. When you grow up like that and you're just in it, and it's like you got to be on it, and it's the pre. It's a preemptive strike. I love that. Like it's like a preemptive strike put down. However that happens. I think I just took a turn. I couldn't help myself. So you go again. Okay. Okay. Um, so I think for me, I'm going to kind of switch it up instead of hitting with the comedy. I think one that I really love is one that is, I love it for, because a, I like the, just the meaning of it in life, which is something that I kind of subscribe to in my own, my own right. But I also love the fact that this opens up the film and it opens up a monologue, which opens up the film. And this film does kind of have one of those notorious entrances, if you will. But, um, I think it tries to. I think it might fall short of the impact that it seems to be swinging for. Not to interject on your your time. No, and I, I just I want to give that opinion. Well, I wouldn't say I disagree with that. Um, I I think that parts. Of, I think the film has an entrance, but let's. I never said that it was the best entrance. You know what I mean? I said it had an entrance, and I do think it does. It. I mean. We're going to talk about some music later, but, like, let's just give it a break, right? You know, we got decades of music since. We can we can find something new, but... Yeah, we'll uh, get to specific later, but those of you who have, or fans of Scorsese, you surely know what we're referencing. Sure, but Costello's, Costello's character says to open the film, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. And I just love that that opens the film because it definitely sets a fucking pace for Costello and... For Colin and Billy. And for for everyone else in the film, because everyone else in the film is a product of Costello's environment. Like, that's absolutely the way to look at it. And then some of them maybe get free of that and find their own ways to shift that environment and make their environment a product of them. But for the most part, they're all a product of Costello's environment. So I love that quote. I love the way it's used in, in the film. Love it. I'll take a dramatic pick. What do you want to chop me up and feed me to the poor? I think this is like uh, Leo's solo. He's got like the one line high note ending solo in the middle of the track. This yeah. is this for him. Well, that's, uh, that, I, that's the peak. That's the peak part of his. Yeah, he's in it right there. Yeah, Billy's Billy's like freaking out. He doesn't know where to go, and people are just pulling him in all different directions. They're asking him to wear wires and risk his life, and he's just freaking the fuck out. I kind of have a little bit of a hot take about this scene in this line. Okay, what you got? Ever like years and years, I've had this. I may have shared this with you at some point, but I just draw this comparison to backseat of the car with an older gentleman and you know, lamenting their place in the world. Um, uh, highlight reel moment for the actor. I draw the comparison between drop, uh, chop me up and feed me to the poor, and I could have been a contender, Martin Marlon Brando on the waterfront, like the framing of the of the shot. Like I said, where it sits in live, the character and the storyline, I've just always like seen those two things. I, I don't know. It'd be a stretch if it was intentional. But every time that line comes up, I think about uh, the Marlon Brando scene. Well, I'll, I'll give you this. I, I hear you on the on your your saying it would be a stretch to, that it's intentional. But I think I'd, I'll disagree with that. Or, or I'll play a devil's advocate to allude to that. Pacino classic. 
Uh, I wish I had a. I can't remember any lines from that movie. I'm disappointed. In I can't either. I just remember Keanu and Keanu. I remember the DVD. <laughs> Pacino. Okay, keep going. Oh, gotcha. So it's. I would. I would love to say that this film makes me want to, but really, what it is is Scorsese is one of those directors uh, in a handful that makes me like makes me just want to go to film school, like film history school, and like just absorb so many movies and take them in because I would I actually actually wouldn't be surprised if it is a direct illusion. I mean Scorsese's the kind of director who who is a film nerd absolutely fully and foremost and could actually be looking at DiCaprio making this movie and see a parallel to a young Brando in that career at that time. And he could see in the line, you know, and he can see that it's written in the back seat of a car and could, you know, make it frame it and and make it kind of allude to that. I, I just I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Scorsese is that kind of filmmaker. He's the one he's kind of makes me want to study film and just watch all this stuff so I can catch the allusions in his films to other things cuz there are a lot in this too, you know. Well, Lottie fucking die. You were kind of a double kid, I bet, right? One kid with your old man, one kid with your mother. You upper middle class during the weeks, then you're dropping the odds and you're hanging in the big bad Southie projects with your daddy, the fucking donkey on the weekends. I got that right? Yeah, I bet I do. Let me ask you a question. How fucked up are you? And what's a lace curtain motherfucker like you doing in the stadies? Folks, give it up. Fucking give it up. My That's favorite. a great. Was that okay? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that's by far my favorite fucking quote in the movie. Love it. It's fucking good. It's fucking good. Um, Okay. My favorite quote is absolutely insensitive. And I, in doing some research, have learned its origin. And I'm still going to let you know the reason I love it is because of the delivery of it. It's delivered. And And the bucket hat. It's the it's the fucking bucket hat, the fucking glasses. It's the delivery from my favorite performer in the film, and my favorite quote is, "No dicky, no laundry." I can't help it. I I know it's offensive. Well, the character saying it, it to be myself, the character but, saying it to be offensive. Well, but he's the a fucking piece of shit. He is a fucking piece of shit, and let's be honest. Okay. You got your, your they, Asian accents coming in here into my country, like let me put it in terms that you low life will understand. It, absolutely, and yeah. these again, these people are not okay. They're really not open to much else besides like straight white Irish, you know. Boston not known for welcoming of other people. They're, yeah, there's just not, and it's like I mean, it's again, it's it's a fit of, but I just love the way he delivers it with his little. He gives a little head shake. Like he's just gonna, I'm putting a period on this conversation, you know, and it's great. I, I Wait, love. Whoa, 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 whoa! Sorry, Dignam just came back. Maybe, Uh-oh. maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. Batch. My theory on feds is it like mushrooms? Feed them shit and keep them in the dark. Yes. Have a nice, have a nice day, ladies. <laughs> I think that's. I think that's Dignam's. Like, I think that's his home run right there. And you know what? Also, foreshadowing, if I may say so, okay? So we wanted to talk about the camera there real quick. Yeah, so Scorsese kind of has this uh, 
you see it in a lot of his films. He mo- the camera moves, and he has this way of like sweeping around characters, and then kind of cutting to to an angle that's like slightly off of where he left it. So it gives you this sense of almost like you're moving and you blinked, and now you're back in. And I just, you know, I'm sure the cinematographer has got to be a big part of this, but you can't help but believe that since you see this this effort in his films so often throughout history that you kind of think, like, this has got to be something he's telling people to, to make happen. You know what I mean? And I love – he does these he, – I mean, he has several of these, like – cut scenes where he moves around whenever a whenever two characters are kind of having or a character is having a moment the camera seems to be almost in like a in orbit in fact around that person and kind of moving around them and kind of coming into them and it's it's a really cool effect i want to talk about the camera work when we're done with quotes because it, it's it's really important in the way it informs the film we want to touch on it for that scene in particular because it's it's a great solo moment how the camera swings across Dignam's shoulders and uh but we're, we're gonna spend a few more minutes on that so just sit tight through a couple more really bad impersonations get them give them to me what you got i have my favorite nicholson quote okay what you got so once fitzy uh he he dumps uh remind me of that cop's name i know you got uh, it right delahunt delahunt yeah the the police find him um you know we can debate whether or not the the news as frank accuses is using that to spook him or make him think that they already found the rat. So don't be worried anymore. Um, but Fitzy's laughing cause he's, he's Fitzy's as fucked up as anybody. He's one of uh, Costello's henchmen. And um, it, he's laughing cause he's embarrassed. He's like, I can't believe that that happened, you know? And he's just like a, having a nervous tick reaction. And Frank says, uh, next time I tell you to put a body in the marsh, you dump them in the mosh. Not with somebody from John Hancunt goes every Thursday to get a hand job. And Fitzy starts laughing again. And he goes, don't laugh. This ain't reality TV. And the music starts coming in. And Frank just goes, proceed. And the gang gets up from the bar. And they go to carry out the final job of the movie. It's fucking awesome. It is. It is a peak. It is one of the peak moments. It definitely is. I mean, I love his... You know, I think one of my to, – to actually to go back, I kind of have one of those quote-within-a-quote moments. Uh, I think one of my favorites is when he's at the table with Billy Costigan, and he's kind of – It's a great he, scene. He's kind of – he it really, really, really is. And he's kind of t- – you can tell he's like – he just wants to show him, like, if you're g- you want to be a part of this crew, you need to know, like, this is what this is, right? And he, he – uh, well, well, by John Lennon is playing in the background right. of this of this track, and he and he's like he alludes to the you know well, he says you know who John Lennon is, and I think one of my favorite <laughs> I, I'm gonna let you give the second part of this, but actually my favorite part is Billy Costigan's response. Yeah, 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 I know who that is. He's the president before Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This shit just cracks me up. But then, what's the give? Give me the John Lennon quote because that was great too from Costello. I know you know it. He says, uh, "You give me a, I'm an artist. You give me a fucking tuba, I'll make something out of it." Yeah, it, it's. I mean, that scene is great, but I just love the fucking little. <laughs> he's such a smartass, and he knows what he's doing with Frank too. I just another little example of how to like poke at Frank, you know, and be like, "Yeah, I'm smart, fucker." 
The other scene with uh, did you have any more quotes? No, I'm out actually. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure there are several. There are plenty of yeah. that. We're sure we'll get to. Oh, oh, one one I missed. The world needs plenty of bartenders. Two weeks. Hey. So good. So good. Ellerby is a quote machine. Oh, actually, my favorite Ellerby quote. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Patriot Act. Patriot Act. I love it. <laughs> they get the they get the federal officers. Oh yeah. Like come in. I, side note, I'm pretty sure that's a Wahlberg brother. That lieutenant who's in the the Ooh, first group. Interesting. And he gives like the thumbs up with no line. Pretty sure that's a Wahlberg brother. Can I throw a little tidbit while it's on my mind about that FBI agent? There's something I noticed I never ever noticed before. Do it. You know the scene where Costigan realizes that Frank's a FBI informant? Yeah. He wakes the guy up with the picture of Jesus and then smashes it on his head and he shoots yeah. him in the knee. And the guy, okay, so just before that, the scene prior to that is Costello on the phone with Sullivan. And he's telling, and it's when, when uh, you know, uh, Madeline answers the phone and she's like, it's the guy with the cancer thing. He's having that conversation with Sullivan, and then he hangs the phone up, and who's there? Queen and Indignum leaned up yeah. against the wall, and they confront him, right? You're so good at this shit. You... There's something I noticed yeah. in this cut at the very end of the interchange between Dignam and He's Queenan. the cop leaning into the car talking to Costello. No, that's in a picture. That's picture. in a picture. Sorry. But when 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 Costello hangs up the phone, right when he goes to put his glasses up on and walk away, it cuts back, and the FBI informant is standing there with Dignam and Queenan. He's not there for the whole con. I, I swear to you, I studied that scene probably seven fucking times looking for that guy. I slow moed it to make sure it was him. He's in there for a fraction of a fucking second. I just find that so beautiful because that happens and right and and. And Costello's saying, if you could have caught me, you would have. You know, he's giving that whole thing. If you could have got me, you would have. And it's like the reason you can't get me is I'm an FBI informant. And then it cuts right back. The guy's there for a fraction of a second. And then right after that, we find out that Frank's a informant. I just love these little tidbits. I mean, I feel like Marty's in control of that, you know? Well, speaking of this movie is a movie of layers. And there's another important one. And... Well, we left a few quotes on the table, and I think that's a good segue into something else we want to talk about. Fireman getting pussy for the first time in the history of fire or pussy. Go try, go climb a tree, you fucking homo. It's working overtime. Mm, where are we headed with this? Sullivan's impotency. Yes. He's uncomfortable in the porn house. Uh, uh, Costello says, you know, no reason I thought this shit was always weird. I never had a hard time getting getting it up. And in that scene... Sullivan is clearly like super uncomfortable around explicit Very. sex. Yep. Um, it's a it's an underlying, unsaid but really obvious point of the movie is that Sullivan's character is impotent. He has sexual problems. You know, uh, there's a scene in the morning before he goes to work. So, do you want to talk about last night? Madeline says, "You know, a lot of guys they make too big of a deal about it. I gotta go to work." Shoves a mouthful of cereal and and bolts out the door. Mm-hmm. So he's this super macho gun in his hand cop, um, but it's a what you would call what they call a paradox that he's sexually impotent. 
Yeah, and something that I, I mean, I, I I don't even know the number of times I've seen this movie. I mean, I know that since 2011, I've watched it at least once a year, so that makes nine. Let alone, I mean, I've got to be up over, I've got to be between 15 and 20 times I've seen this film, and not once until the last time I watched it did I realize that the reason Colin is impotent is because he was molested by the fucking priest. Walk me through it, man. Walk me through the, the lampposts of, that it, led you to this, con- it just, this crazy conclusion. Well, it's like the, the first, the first thing that kind of got me there is I kept, uh, there's a scene in this film that always stuck out to me and it never made any sense to me. It just didn't click. And it was when Frank is in the, the restaurant with Billy and he, basically accosts the priest and the and, nun and the nun yes well the the nun that kind of makes sense he just wants to antagonize her you know because of the relationship they have but i just i always wondered like what and then i realized he's saying to them like remember the conversation we had not he's not telling them he's not just talking about them molesting kids he's saying remember the conversation we had about sucking on the little boys peckers and stuff I mean, he's like, he's getting very vocal. And I realized, like, why would Frank Costello take even a fucking second out of his day to go accost a priest like that? And then his wife wants to know if she, if he's going to, uh, you know, take her to confessional or fuck her or something before work. And he gives her that line about, I don't know about the confessional seal these days, doesn't, don't really know about those, those confessed perverts and pedophiles. And I'm, I'm starting to think, like, clearly he, re- he recruited Colin as an operative learned that Colin was being molested and he went and fucking put a stop to it. And it just, I mean, I don't know. It's not verified, but that's fucking it, dude. That's legit. I am really proud of you. Thank you. I feel like a your story analysis guys wrote a blog. That's crazy. Didn't you it also is. say you, there's also a quick scene of young Colin as an altar boy. They make a point to show him as yes. an altar boy. Yes. I mean, and again, that, why would you, I mean, it just, Something's there. Yeah. Why else would there. they film an, a, a scene where Frank goes up to people of the clergy and says, why else would they do that? Obviously, yeah. like that community is is full of, you know, Catholicism. But why would they why would they show that? What's the purpose of that? Correct. Because it doesn't really have any other context in the film. But then there's also there's also this tiny little thing, like you said, with with Sullivan. I mean, he like the the. If if it wasn't for the conversation with Madeline where she says to him, do you want to talk about it? A lot of guys make too big of a deal out of it, you know. If it wasn't for that, his braggart, his braggadocio about how busy his dick is would just kind of seem like would just kind of seem like par for the course for his character, right? But when you add that on top of that, it becomes then you have this other scene that doesn't make sense and you kind of put them together and it's like, okay, maybe they make sense. What does Freud say about the Irish people, that they're the only people impervious to psychoanalysis. Right. And for the character, that's that's a piece of this puzzle. Another line. And the other line, which is one of the last in the film, is uh, when Sullivan finally kills Frank after the hor- horrendous running scene from Jack Nicholson. He says, he says uh, what does he say, Joshua? He says, I always thought of you as a and then, as as a son, is that what this is about? All this fucking and killing because you couldn't have any sons? Who's the one with the with the the issue? 
Yeah, yeah, not, absolutely. Not Costello. Maybe, yeah. Well, maybe he was. He didn't have any fucking sons. We don't have enough time to go down that hole. We don't. We don't. We don't. But a little food for thought. For those of you who have watched this movie a lot, think about that for a while. The more you watch it again, it the 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 more it will like. Yeah, I see it. It'll happen. So we love this movie for the quotes. We love this movie for the director. We love this movie for the layers. We love this movie for the cast. We also love this movie like our family because there's a lot of shit that's wrong with it. It's not perfect. That's Um, it. What a great way to put it. So let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, if okay, if you want me to lead off, I'm going to get to my biggest, most painful – okay – I think there when I think of discussing my biggest critiques of this, I always I often think of framing it in like a love-hate relationship kind of a way, you know, things that you love to hate in a way. I while I love the collection of songs that make up the soundtrack, I don't quite understand why we have a movie in 2006 and aside from, you know, like uh, Thief's theme from Nos, which is probably recorded in the '90s, uh, and a Dropkick Murphys song, which was also likely recorded in the '90s, maybe in the early 2000s. That's that's the newest music we get. I mean, some of it makes sense. Where these bars where middle-aged men hang out, you know, I get it. Classic rock, I white men for sure. But like, it just something feels like. Like Marty's got like a cachet of songs, and that's all. That's the only place he can go. You know Scorsese, what I mean? Scorsese made a uh, a Rolling Stones documentary. Shine a light. Fucking surprised, right? Well, Josh, guess what? Guess which song he chose to admit from the movie <laughs> about the Rolling fucking Stones? Give me, give me one. Come on, t- say it out loud. Say it out loud. Goodfellas, Casino, The Departed, three times, one song. Give me shelter, Marty. Get over it. Get over it! Oh, it's a great song, Marty. I'll take a high ball blast to the head of someone acting up in a bar every fucking movie. That's one of his many signatures. But the same fucking song, Give Me Shelter, again? Can't you just see it, Marty, in the editing room? He looks up over his glasses and he says, you know what this scene needs? Give me shelter. (laughs) No one says no. Everyone, just a collective eye roll. Yep, sure. Except for Robbie Robertson. Robbie Robertson's like, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Marty, good idea. I like that. I don't know where you thought of it. I don't know like if you've had this idea before, but I support you no matter what. Fifth Robbie Robertson the must charm, have Marty. like fifth times the charm. Must have like some royalty investment in that song. Just pushing the fucking stones. I'm going out on a limb. I feel like that song will be in at least one more Scorsese movie before before the earth shatters and we lose that icon. We're going to get that song one more time. I hate the phones in this movie. Wait, wait, wait. What? I have to go one place before you go to the phones. Please. Flip phones, man. Go the ahead. worst part about the entire soundtrack is that shitty fucking fucking comfortably numb i Van can't morrison it with fucking van morrison on there and it's like if you would maybe just pick the album version maybe i could be okay but i am not okay with that it i fast forward through that scene i fast forward through that scene because of that fucking song 
I can't stand it. Oh, by the way, that's Billy's baby, right? Oh, it's Billy's baby. There's no doubt. I mean, that baby was totally conceived to some comfortably numb, okay? Van Morrison comfortably numb. <laughs> no, it's 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 uh what's it? Uh it's David Gilmore and Van it's like I know, out. but it's it's like what is it what like some one of those like live, live aid or nope. something? Live aid. We all just hit you with a little bit of country on today's episode. Yeah, we get loose after we get going a little bit over here. Colin Sullivan conducts an entire text message in his jacket pocket while less than five inches between himself and two other well-trained espionage expertise police officers. That's the point. What the fuck is that? For real, like, I mean, it's like, you know, if you're in middle school in in 2000... I sent some girls to some texts under the desk without looking, but, like... That's what I mean. meet up instead of meet up and shit, like... But this guy, like, he's clear. He nails it. I hear you. That's what I'm saying. Is that a class they teach in the school of being a rat? Like, how to text in your jacket pocket? I missed that one. Clearly it is. Clearly it is. Because, again... I mean, if you're in middle school, I can see you being able to do that without looking. Like, that's all cool. But, like, the point being is you're standing in a room full of people who are supposed to be trained to spot suspicious activity. Yes! I mean, and you still pull that off. But, again, that's that's just a a tiny little bit of what this guy gets away with. Okay, let's – can I just take a few seconds and give you some – What Sullivan gets away with? Some Sullivan gets away with. Costello literally rolls up in his infamous burgundy fucking Cadillac at at fucking Sullivan's police academy graduation, and has him come get in the car with him. Like how? Like if you guys are under like this unit was not born yesterday. It was happening. You know, Sullivan got a job in the unit. How the fuck are you guys not following Costello already and see Sullivan get in the car first when Fitzy is in custody and he's like, cut the camera off, give me your phone. The fuck? Sullivan would be like fucking court-martialed. I don't even know what it is. He's like tampering with with evidence. He's like, what the fuck? Who gets away with that? Nobody gets the fuck away with that. Anthony Anderson, speak up, bro. Come on, Kangaroo Jack. Get in the house. I mean, I'm just saying. And then then we've already alluded to it again, but Queenan fucking watching him on the fucking phone in the middle of the raid warn Frank about the raid. I mean, and then the dude gets put in charge of finding himself. And then the mother of all of them, how in the fucking hell does everyone in the car who followed Queenan to 344 Washington Street, not know after that episode that that fucking Sullivan is the rat. How do you not know this? It's obvious, right? Is it not obvious? Why do they have to meet at the roof? <laughs> Good point. So someone can... Why the fuck do they have to go to the roof? The, wait, you know what? I need to hop back a segment or two. Another one of my favorite quotes. Any of you mugs got a light? I love that. Yeah, they do. Like, Fitzy, after they kill him, they're like, about Queen, and they're gathered back at the bar, and they're like, that, we were rough. We were too rough on the cop. He was a Excessive. tough cop. They've been probably been dealing with him for years. 
he was res- they respected him just like everybody else like we should not have fucking done that but yeah anybody got a light little shoulder shrug left to right toe shift the weight that was nice yeah yeah and who let this ira motherfucker in my bar <laughs> and then what is he Starting IRAs. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit because DiCaprio <laughs> later was like, what is he, starting an IRA? And then can I just say one little thing? I just want to throw this out there because this is a love-hate Am kind of conversation. No? no, you're not going to say no. A love-hate conversation. Uh, there's some 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 little tidbits in the, the Colin-Billy paradox that I really enjoy. And one of them is the fact that Colin gets – gets his, to show off with quoting Joyce or knowing the Joyce quote, and then Billy gets to show off by quoting Hawthorne. What, and you then, know, what, do you don't know any Shakespeare? I know, great, right? right? And then one more little subtlety is that Frank, Frank touches both Billy and Colin on their left shoulder with his left hand and pats them there in the movie. It's like a kind of a, a thing that he does like eat something and then in the theater everybody's telling billy to eat he's on those fucking painkillers yeah, he's hungry. pretty pretty fucking thin pretty fucking thin okay so anyway that i just had to bring that up because it's one thing i found interesting is those little tidbits with uh colin and billy no i love that something else i wanted to talk about and we've touched on uh, periodically throughout today's episode is like the camera and obviously the editing is paramount um scorsese has worked with the same editor since raging bull uh donald schumacher i mean if it ain't broke don't fix it right yeah so for real so i i feel like i get with the camera at least maybe not the editing but we'll talk on the camera first there's like this old school detective you know thief movie feel to it specifically on colin which i think you have some words on outside of the 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 office the bureau if you will um the following someone jogging down the stairs the like uh the spot eye uh effect where it zooms out um it, it just reminds me of like an old school dragnet like detective type uh camera work and i think that's like a th- that's like a throwback element right yeah yeah for sure so a couple of the camera things that I would say there's three three kind of things the keyhole effect that you brought up the keyhole um, thank you the way that um, then there are the things that I, I like to call them like these like uh, click 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 kind of cuts that he does um, and then in dialogue scenes you really get this movement of the camera that we kind of alluded to earlier where it sweeps around characters and, and shifts your perspective just slightly. And it makes it feel as if you're walking around a conversation that's in place. And, and that's a very effective trick in this film that, that I pick up on. And it's part of the reason why this movie stays so engaging. Even after you've seen it as many times as we have, it stays engaging because the way the, the, the camera almost wants to make you as the viewer a character in the film just a silent character you know you get to be an observer and and i find that interesting i think this is a film of layers and the camera work and the editing make that happen 
it's the the quick cuts the the affected shots they almost seem to have this like zooming effect on them the, the cutting back and forth between the characters even in one-on-one scenes it's a very very layered film and the plot line is layered it's about espionage and lying and who who can you trust and i think the storyline is reflected in the way the camera is treated and the editing is treated it is i mean and and also i think the only i think that when it comes down to it that billy is probably our protagonist but i think that colin is our main character and the reason i would say that colin is the main character is because those keyhole shots they revolve around colin he's no one else no one else gets those and he he is the mole and i think actually that's maybe i'm silly but that's beautiful that you bring that up that that keyhole shot kind of gives him that like feeling of being down a hole like a mole would be i mean exactly because the, the only time the keyhole comes in is when a when the mole takes his position and b is when because colin's kind of going back and forth he's like maybe i'll just run away and get away from this like he's feeling the stress which is probably another reason why he's impotent he's fucking stressed out he's got dude's in a really stressful position in life but the other time it comes in is when he decides, like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and run these names and see if I can find this mole who works for the police. That's the only time these keyholes come in, you know? Sure. Uh, I wanted your thoughts on the late uh, title card. 20 minutes into the movie. Oh, dude. You kind of ask yourself, did, did it happen already? Did I forget it? Yeah, I don't think you, you – I, I think you, you don't even notice it until the, it hits, and then you're like, shit, I guess I haven't seen that yet. But I love that because it feels like that credit got put in at an essential point where the information that happens before that credit is essential information for you to even be able to watch the story that is The Departed. You know, because you, you, you get – like after the credit, you get – Billy in prison, working out. You get Sullivan. Ooh, and Leo with the fucking between the the, the beds workout. Mm, fucking ripped. prison swole, son. Like getting ripped. You know what I mean? He's so skinny, but yeah, 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 totally. I mean, he's skinny, but like by the time he's leaving yeah. prison and the dude's asking him about his idiot cousin, he's like, you can see, like I wouldn't want to fight that dude. There's no oh, way. No. Um. But, you know, Sullivan's out on his balcony in his police academy shirt, drinking out of his police mug, and he's, like, looking at the state building. And it's like, you know, it's like everything before that is information you must need, you have to have to, to watch this story. That's how I feel about it. Did you know that the Nazis, like, drew in, uh, inspiration from the Massachusetts State Police Officers' uniforms? <laughs> I was doing, like, shitty internet, like, trivia research and saw that and then watched the movie and then there's like the academy graduation scene and i was like holy shit yeah well and then there's the the part where sullivan asks his compadre you have any suits at home or do you like coming to work dressed like you're gonna invade poland Poland. yeah that's exactly what that is and and also they do they go out of their way to show off that uniform at that same you know, when, when they're graduating, it does that when another one of those click, click, click scenes with the buckles and the leather and the collars and the stars and pins and shit. Like, yeah. Totally. Did we miss anything for you? Yeah. I mean, one thing I want to talk about is an understated thing, but for, for people who have watched this movie and enjoy it, 
I think that one of the things that's always bothered me about this movie is you always want to be, you kind of want to be on Queenan and Dignam's side, but I absolutely love the way that they they completely just trick Billy into going undercover. Like they they Dignam does his, albeit funny and completely you know sharp witted commentary. He breaks him down. It's a psychological technique. He In breaks a matter him of down. Business, minutes. Yep, makes him feel worthless. And then Queenan swoops in and offers him this thing that can still make him feel like it's good part cop, of bad what he cop. Wants. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's just so sad that they take advantage of Billy like that because you get the feeling that the way everybody talks about Billy is he really could have done anything and like maybe he, he was a fucking astronaut. Yeah, maybe officer. he shouldn't have been put in that position, you know, because he would his character would still be alive, and I think that that. That's something that's always bothered me about this is is that that dynamic that they trick Billy. You know, they just do. In, you know, pure reflection and true to the life arc of Billy Costigan, could have been an astronaut. Instead, he's, you know, a lowly undercover police officer. Could have died on the field of battle and glory. Could have killed the bad guy. Instead, kangaroo fucking Jack kills him i think that that's when you're watching that movie maybe for the first time and and costigan walks out and um what's the actor's name anthony anderson he walks out and anthony anderson of all people in this movie it's not it's the guy who wants to come to work invaded poland that's the one who actually shoots him and then then sure Yep, and then Anthony Anderson's character comes down the steps and sees him, and then he shoots him too, and then uncuffs Sullivan, and Sullivan shoots him. Because remember, that character reveals that he was also a place oh, yeah, by right. Costello. You're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. But and my point is, like, in the Costigan's character is killed by you know just a nobody in the a nobody. Yeah, yeah. A, a nobody in the story, just a token character that's there yeah it's it it is it's uh this is one of those films where i mean where you look like who's left alive i mean all of the i wonder where madeline is i mean yeah hey she definitely left town she definitely left town i what about the baby (sighs) that's a curious factor curious factor i admittedly have not seen all of martin scorsese's films there's a lot of them, but I feel like this is almost for his most famous films, his gangster movies, his crime sagas. This is almost like his greatest hits. Bring out all the bag of tricks, uh, big swing. Um, final thoughts on why you love this movie? Yeah, so I'll use um, I'll use a quick, a brief, brief scene. Um, I love in films when there are moments that look like paintings. I'm a big fan of that as an artist, which is the perspective I kind of, one of the perspectives I bring to this podcast, just besides being like a lover of fucking movies. But um, when Frank is at the opera with his uh, girlfriend slash wife and what is kind of led, you're led to believe is maybe an escort. And the way that the whole scene is framed with with this over this kind of like uh overlaying red light and 
Frank is perfectly positioned between the wall and the curtain, and the cart the curtain is dark, almost black. It's really like a deep burgundy because of the lighting. And then the wall is red, and Frank is perfectly split in the middle. And to his right, on the the stage left, is the light skinned woman, and she is positioned in front of the curtain, which is dark. And then on the right is the darker skinned woman who is positioned in the wall, which is this bright red. And it's this this duality of of both. And it's this it's it's almost like you kind of get this imagery of like Frank's uh, intellectual spawn of of Billy and and Colin and the, just the whole paradox that is the film. And I think my favorite part about this movie is that little attention to detail that Scorsese brings that keeps you in the film and it's the tricks, that bag of tricks that you referenced that, that he just, it's just a fun fucking movie to watch and it keeps you guessing and it keeps you going, you know? And I love it for that reason. You had me on my feet with the Colin revelation. You had me in tears with the duality Ooh. picture. Ooh, thank you. Well done. So well done. But I do want to pose the exact same question to you. What what are what are your final thoughts on this film and why do you love this movie? As an ensemble cast, I also think it's like an ensemble viewing experience. I love watching and experiencing this experiencing this film with other people. Um it's something I, I again we could watch year after year after year and notice new things about it. But the one thing I keep coming back to is sharing my favorite quotes. You know, the the, the way it's so beautiful and serious, as you, as you has, have eloquently displayed in a couple anal, analyzing points, it's also hilarious. It's flawed. I love Absolutely. How it just, I just love how it covers the whole spectrum. Like, I could watch it, it and, like, holy fucking shit. What a fucking beautiful crime saga movie. And then I could, like, get drunk with my best friend and just laugh my ass off at Dignam. And it's a reason why I will show this movie forever during the holidays. It's a family movie for me. <laughs> Absolutely. No, but seriously, it just it it's it it could touch on any different nerve at any given time. And um, you love seeing your favorite actors, your favorite performers, and when you get a chance to see them all together, it's just memorable and special. And even if the movie is not perfect, it's still fun to see your friends. You know, behind the camera and on the TV, like your your people that you it, it's just it's an all encompassing experience, and and that's why I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I can just say one thing, just to to kind of uh, commiserate in that, I mean, some of us, yeah, maybe it's the wrong word, but it's the end of the podcast, and people know well, what we're happens. here for your face acting, not for your. Uh, what, but what I was going to say is for those of us who used to watch movies growing up and kind of like dream that you could live in those worlds and everything, this is one of those, when you say, you know, see your friends, it's just these, these people are, they're household names. We watch a lot of their movies and it's really cool to see them all in one movie together interacting with one another. And that's one of the things that has a, a pull for sure. Oh, I just wanted oh, to yeah. agree. Uh, Josh, in closing, I'll just say uh, everybody's dying. It's up to you to act accordingly. 
Fucking act accordingly, folks. And uh, to the birds, my friend. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Once again, please, if you have a moment, give us a follow and or like on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. Tell all your friends. Be safe. Be kind. And we love you, y'all. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.